Let's talk about hard conversations. My hunch is that most of us would rather not have them because they can be too uncomfortable. But done well, they can become some of the most fruitful discipleship conversations that you'll ever have. So in this episode, I'll show you how to handle them well. Hey leaders, welcome back to the City Group Leader Podcast. The podcast is designed to help your city group thrive and multiply by strengthening your leadership in 25 minutes or less. If you're new to the show, my name is Trevor Nashlinis. I'm a City Group's Director at City Light. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to have hard conversations. As always, I encourage you to check out the show notes for a discussion guide and resources that will help you put what you learn into practice. When I meet with group leaders, the three most common questions I get have to do with kids, group discussions, and hard conversations. Every leader is faced with hard conversations from time to time, and if you lead long enough, you will be no exception. The thing with hard conversations, however, is that they can make or break your city group. When handled well, a hard conversation can lead to deeper community and more fruitful discipleship. When handled poorly, a hard conversation can lead to drama, hurt, and frustration. In worst case scenarios, it can even destroy the group. Behind every thriving group is a leader or leaders who know how to have hard conversations. And behind every struggling group is likely a leader who either won't have hard conversations or who doesn't handle them well. That's why if you want your group to thrive, you must be willing to have hard conversations and you need to know how to do so well. So in this episode, we're going to answer three questions. What do we mean by hard conversations? Why do hard conversations matter? And how do you have a hard conversation? So let's start with what hard conversations are. A hard conversation is when you talk with someone about a negative experience, a problematic behavior, or an uncomfortable topic. It's any interaction that has the potential to get tense, awkward, or uncomfortable because you are intentionally addressing a situation that is inherently offensive, problematic, or personal. Asking a group member not to politicize every passage of scripture, calling a group member to confess and apologize for demeaning someone in the group, encouraging a couple not to live together before they are married, working through a disagreement, or asking a group member not to turn your email thread into a political platform are all examples of hard conversations. But why do they matter? What's at stake if we don't have hard conversations? Hard conversations matter for at least two reasons group health, and spiritual growth. The goal of a hard conversation isn't to shame, embarrass, or control our group members. It's to keep the group healthy and to help each other grow. You don't have hard conversations so you can blow off steam or make life easier, and you certainly don't have a hard conversation to put people down. You have a hard conversation because you love people and you want what's best for them. Most of us avoid hard conversations because we're afraid that it's gonna make things worse and we don't want to feel awkward or uncomfortable. We then justify our inaction by telling ourselves that we don't want to get distracted from discipleship. But this is a mistake for a number of reasons. First, the best way to make things worse is to do nothing. Pursuing a hard conversation has the potential to make things better. Ignoring a hard conversation does not. When we ignore hard conversations, the behavior persists, making it harder to deal with in the future. Sure, a hard conversation could go bad, but if you wait until it's a big deal, it will go much, much worse. And there's always the chance that a hard conversation could actually go well, leading to genuine change and causing your group to get healthier. Second, a hard conversation is not a distraction from discipleship. It 
is discipleship. Many of the challenges we face in city groups are the result of unprocessed feelings and misguided beliefs leading, lingering beneath the surface in a person's life. The hard conversation that you're trying to avoid might just be the best way to address those deeper realities. When I look back on my own spiritual journey, for example, I can honestly say that some of my most significant spiritual growth has come from hard conversations, whether it's a hard conversation that I've had to have with someone else or a hard conversation that someone else has had to have with me. I've grown from them every single time. When I was a freshman in college, I met a local pastor named Jeff. Jeff invested in me by taking me out to coffee, inviting me into Bible study, and taking me to conferences. I became a Christian just before I went to college, and he was one of the very first people to disciple me personally and intentionally. I was passionate, energetic, and very proactive in my faith, but I was also obnoxious, immature, and foolish. Soon after beginning to disciple me, Jeff pulled me aside for a hard conversation. He told me that he saw leadership potential in me, but that I needed to grow up a little bit and I needed to be more considerate of other people. It was a hard conversation, but it helped me grow. Had Jeff not had that conversation with me, I likely would not have grown in self-awareness and I would have continued to undermine my own spiritual development. A few years later, I had to have a similar conversation with a guy on my football team. I started a ministry to my team when I was a freshman, and as guys got converted, I started giving them ministry opportunities. I gave them opportunities to lead Bible studies and post-practice devotionals and pre-game chapels and to disciple other men on the team. There's one particular guy who had recently become a Christian. He started taking on more ministry leadership, and then he got engaged and moved in with his fiance. I knew that I couldn't allow him to continue to lead and live in sin, so I called to have a hard conversation. During that conversation, I expressed my appreciation for him, told him how much I wanted him to lead, then explained that living with his fiance was sin, and I graciously asked him to make a choice, move out or quit ministry. He called me a few weeks later to let me know that he was moving in with a friend because he wanted to be obedient to Jesus. It was a hard conversation, but it was the loving thing to do because it helped him grow in Christ and it protected my team from a sinful example. It also did something else. It helped me grow as well. It forced me to obey Jesus and to love my brother, even though it meant getting out of my comfort zone because I had everything to lose and nothing to gain from that conversation. So the hard conversation helped me grow, it helped my teammate grow, and it protected my team from sin. Now, I know you're tempted to shy away from hard conversations. I am too. But I want to ask you not to do that because there's just too much at stake. If we don't have hard conversations, we risk hurting ourselves, the group, and other people. Is someone in your group disrupting group discussion with political agendas or theological rabbit trails? Have the hard conversation. Is someone in your group condescending and defensive? Have the hard conversation. Is someone in your group being foolish or destructive in their marriage or their finances? Have the hard conversation. Hard conversations promote group health and spiritual growth. I know they can be uncomfortable, but please don't avoid them. Your group needs you to step into them. Let me say just one more thing about this before we move on. Hard conversations are hard because they usually result from conflict or lead to conflict. That's one of the big reasons why we try so hard to avoid them. The bad news is that some of your hard conversations will involve conflict. That's just unavoidable. But don't let that keep you from having them. Here's why. Your biggest conflict has already been resolved. 
Your sins put you in direct conflict with God. And apart from Jesus, you deserve God's just condemnation. But God, in his great mercy, chose to forgive you instead of condemn you. And he did so by sending his son Jesus to resolve that conflict through the cross. It was there that he bore your sins. It was there that he took your condemnation. It was there that he reconciled you to God. So your conflict with God has been resolved because Jesus has reconciled you through the cross. That means that you can risk and resolve conflict in hard conversations with group members because Jesus has already resolved your conflict with the Father. You can therefore reconcile because you have been reconciled. Now that we've defined what hard conversations are and explained why they matter, let me give you eight quick steps that you can take to have hard conversations in a way that will be fruitful instead of frustrating. I know that eight steps seems like a lot, but we'll go quick, so stick with me. Number one, start with yourself. Make sure that you're not the problem or at least not contributing to the problem. I can't tell you how many times I've planned a hard conversation then realized after the fact that I was making the problem worse without realizing it. So ask yourself, is there sin that you need to confess or behavior that you need to take responsibility for? You won't know unless you examine yourself first. It's also important to start with yourself because it's so tempting to either use hard conversations to prove yourself to another person or to seek approval from that person. When this happens, we end up coming on too strong, beating around the bush, or being too apologetic. To combat this, we have to make sure that we get it, go into the conversation not looking to justify ourselves or seeking justification from the other person. We must live from our justification in Christ, knowing that we already have the approval we need from him. Number two, move toward the person. When tensions rise, most of us want to move away from the problem. This is tempting, but it's a huge mistake. Here's why. The longer you wait to have a hard conversation, the harder the conversation will be. That doesn't mean that you need to address every minor infraction, but it does mean that you need to move towards people as soon as you see a potential hard conversation on the horizon. If a person says or does something that looks like it could become problematic, move towards them. You may not need to correct them the first time, but you do need to build equity. So at very least, take the time to get to know the person better. This will build trust, which is critical if the behavior needs to be addressed in the future. This can be done by text, call, or in person. In person is usually best, but a different approach is acceptable if this situation allows for it. If the behavior persists, ask the person to meet and be specific about what you want to meet about. You might say something like, Hey, Brian, I noticed you've sent a number of political links to group members in our text thread the last three weeks, and I'd like to talk with you about that. Could we schedule a time to talk for 20 to 30 minutes sometimes this week? How do you know when to address a behavior? A good rule of thumb is this. Once is an incident, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. And once a behavior becomes a pattern, it can be very hard to correct. So at most, allow a behavior to continue three times unless it's serious. Then you must address it sooner. Number three, maintain a gracious disposition. One of the most basic communication principles is that people will mirror what you model. If you come into a conversation heated and accusatory, the other person is probably going to get angry and defensive, and your conversation will disintegrate very, very quickly. If you come into a hard conversation calm and compassionate, the other person is probably going to be more open and receptive. Like I've said before, the most important thing about your leadership in this moment is not what you say or what you do, it's who you are. 
The way you show up to the conversation will have a huge impact on the outcome of your conversation. So cultivate leadership presence by maintaining a gracious disposition. For more on this, check out the show notes for links to previous episodes on this topic. Number four, express your appreciation for the person. The one thing that everyone wants to know in a confrontation is this, does this person have my best interest in mind? If a person feels like you're for them and you want what's best for them, they're going to be much more open to what you have to say. If a person feels that you're against them, they're going to be much more defensive. As a leader, you can de-escalate the situation and disarm the person by expressing your appreciation for them from the start. Let them know what they mean to you. Thank them for their presence in your group and tell them that you want what's best for them. In other words, affirm before you confront. You'll be surprised by how much of a difference this makes. Number five, clearly name the dynamic. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make when it comes to hard conversations is beating around the bush. In an effort to avoid hurting people's feelings, we soften the conversation by being ambiguous in the way we describe the situation. We say things like, I thought that maybe you came on kind of just a little bit strong at group the other day, and I was wondering if maybe you wouldn't mind trying a little harder to be nice. That might seem like a nice way to address the situation, but that's not loving. It's confusing. The person has no idea what they're actually said or did that came across as strong, and they certainly don't have any idea of what they're supposed to do about that. They may not even know what you mean by strong in this particular situation. A better way to address the situation might sound something like this. Frank, I wanted to talk with you about the comment you made the other day to Julie about her perspective being the dumbest thing that you have ever heard. I know you weren't trying to be hurtful, but your words came across as harsh and condescending, and they made Julie feel stupid. Do you see the difference between those two examples? The first leaves Frank feeling confused about the problem. The second leaves no doubt as to what Frank said and did and how it impacted Julie. Now, I know this can be intimidating, but if you want your conversation to be effective, you must choose courage over compromise. And remember, you were justified in Christ, not by Frank's response. Number six, get to the heart. As you go into your next hard conversation, I want you to remember that the behavior you're addressing is the symptom, not the cause. Beneath every careless word, every foolish sin, and every problematic behavior is beliefs, values, and emotions, a complex lens through which people see and relate to the world around them. That means for the conversation to be truly effective, you'll need to treat the cause, not just the symptom. So take the time to understand a person's motivation, situation, and perspective so that you can disciple the person instead of merely addressing the problem. This takes more time and effort, but it is totally worth it because you get to the root of the problem and you help the person grow. It also gives you a much better understanding of the situation and it makes the person feel seen and heard, which in turn makes them more receptive. This is easier said than done, I will admit, so I've included a link in the show notes to a resource they will help you do this well. Number seven, apply the gospel. When it comes to hard conversations, your goal should be gospel transformation, not behavior modification. Yes, you want the behavior to change so the situation will resolve, but more importantly, you want everyone involved to experience real personal transformation. In minor situations, like saying asking someone to use your group thread differently, gospel transformation might not be necessary. But in more significant conversations, like a group member who is being foolish with his finances, gospel application is essential. 
I don't have time to explain the ins and outs of how to do that in this particular episode, but you essentially want to do three things. You want to engage the person's behavior by asking the question, what symptoms is this person exhibiting? Number two, you want to extract the underlying cause of that person's behavior. Again, you might ask, what idols or beliefs are causing this person to behave this way? And finally, you want to exchange the lies and the unbelief for the truth about God. This time you might ask, what aspect of the gospel does this person need to believe in order to change? This, of course, is an oversimplification, but that's all I have time for at the moment. Check out the show notes for some simple resources that will help you apply the gospel effectively in any situation. This, I might add, is in my opinion, the most important part of a hard conversation. If you get this, you set the person up for genuine transformation and you've done some deep discipleship. If you miss this, you've modified a person's behavior, but they may not be any closer to Jesus than they were before. So if there's one aspect of a hard conversation to master, this is it. Number eight, offer specific next steps. Many people believe that hard conversations are about correction. They just want problematic behavior to stop. Well, that is one aspect of a hard conversation. It's not the whole story. When we have a hard conversation with someone, we don't simply want them to stop negative behavior. We want them to become a healthier, more godly disciple of Jesus. And that requires direction, not just correction. By that I mean, we can't just tell people to stop doing something. We must also direct them to start doing something else. And we do that by giving them simple next steps. Paint a picture of the kind of person you want them to become in Christ, then tell them what they can do to get there. Let's go back to our example with Frank and Julie. In that situation, you might say something like this. Frank, I'd really like to see you become a model for what it looks like to respond to someone with humility, compassion, and grace like Jesus. So the next time someone in our group says something ignorant or naive, can I ask you to affirm them for having the courage to ask the question, ask them some questions to gain understanding, and then, if it seems appropriate, answer the question in a more tender-hearted way. That would help you become more like Christ and would also make your brothers and sisters feel more respected. Could I also ask you to apologize to Julie for saying that her question was the dumbest thing you've ever heard? I think that would go a long way in helping you become more compassionate and it would make Julie feel valued as a group member. Do you see how these specific next steps both correct Frank's behavior and direct him towards spiritual formation? That's what you're going for. So those are the eight steps for having hard conversations. Not all of them will apply in every situation, but in general, you want to make use of all eight as best you can. Let's review. A hard conversation is when you talk with someone about a negative experience, problematic behavior, or uncomfortable topic. Hard conversations matter because they promote group health and spiritual growth. You can have hard conversations because in the gospel, you've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And there are eight simple steps that you can take to have hard conversations, which we just covered. Now for some application questions. What hard conversation or conversations do you need to have with people in your group? And what's your plan of action? Which are the reasons for hard conversations are the most compelling to you and why? And how will that change your attitude or approach to hard conversations moving forward? And finally, what next steps do you need to take right now? That does it for another episode of the City Group Leader Podcast. Thank you for listening in. I pray this content was helpful for you. It would mean a lot if you would take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. I care deeply about your leadership, and your support will strengthen our leadership community. As you go, remember, 
Hard conversations are not a distraction from discipleship. They are discipleship. They can be uncomfortable, but they're essential for group health and spiritual growth. So don't be intimidated. God has called you to lead your group, and because Christ is in you, you have everything you need to lead it well.